The promise in Micah chapter 5, 2 uh, that Amy read a little bit ago about a specific ruler is not familiar to us because most of us are extremely intimate with uh, or have an intimate knowledge of the book of Micah. I mean, I'm, probably Micah is not the book of the Bible that you wake up every morning and go, you know what, I need to read something in the Bible, I'm going to go to, to Micah. You may go to Micah 6, 8, I know that's a familiar and popular one, but, but for the most part, most of us aren't spending a lot of time in Micah, but we're still familiar with that passage, and we're familiar with the promise, especially that section which is found in, in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, be, because it is in basically every Christmas pageant or on every TV show that is sharing the Christmas narrative. Whenever the wise men come onto the stage or appear on the scene, they cry out, they, they, they share the news, you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is from the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 2 and verse 6, and it's a paraphrase of sorts of Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. And the gospel of Luke in their narrative and the gospel of Matthew in his narrative uh, affirm that this promise of Micah chapter 2 is fulfilled in Jesus the Christ, the one who came and was born here and that we celebrate every season. But Jesus was a ruler unlike any other ruler. And many differences we could explore. Mark spoke a little bit about it in his children's story. But I want to go to the text of Micah chapter 5, and so I invite you to open your Bibles with me there to the book of Micah. It's towards the end of the Old Testament, so you got to look for it a little bit. Micah chapter 5, Micah chapter 5, it's right before Naaman, I think, is that how you say it? Nahum, Nahum, yeah, yeah. Nahum, I know there's different ways of saying it, but right before Micah chapter, uh, Micah is right before the book of Nahum, now I'm going to have that in my head the whole time, and we're going to explore a particular uniqueness or a couple particular unique aspects about this ruler, this king, Jesus. It makes him different from really every other ruler that has existed in history. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 again, it says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephratat, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, you see that was a paraf- the, Matthew was paraphrasing it, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. And then this verse, verse 2 in Micah, which is not stated the exact same way in Matthew, ends in this way. Whose coming forth is from of old, from the ancient of days. This text tells us that this ruler, which the New Testament of the Bible communicates is Jesus, who is from Bethlehem, but he's also from of old. He's from the ancient of days. The New Standard by the New American Standard Bible, I like the way it says it best. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. From the days of eternity. Jesus is a unique ruler in that, as a ruler, that he was before he was. Jesus was before he ever was. He is unique in that in that way. No ruler has that, that, that qualification that he was before he was. If that confuses you, then it should. 
If we ever ponder the idea of, of Jesus being from, from eternity through eternity and it, we can't put our minds around it, that's normal because we have nothing by which to reference it against. The only things that have been forever and that always will be are, are Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, who we know as Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. From, from eternity past, he is from the ancient of days through days of eternity. So before Jesus was in Bethlehem, he was throughout all the ages of eternity. And while we don't understand this idea, let me tell you that this is an idea that we love. You may not realize that, but this is a, this is a truth that we actually love and embrace at so many levels. In just a few days, there's going to be a movie that's coming out. It's supposedly the final one in the series of Star Wars movies. It's the return, I think, it's called The Return of Skywalker. Now, for those of you that were around, you might remember when Star Wars first burst upon the scene in 1977. I didn't know about it for a few years later because I wasn't born yet in 1977, but that's just another thing. But some of you might remember it. It was the original Star Wars film, and the plot that unfolded in Star Wars, the, the New Hope and Star Wars Empire Strikes Back and Star Wars Return of the Jedi, is this, this premise that while evil has risen up in the universe, there is a power that can overcome that evil. But that power that is referred to as the Force in the Star Wars movies, while seeming to be new, it's, it's, it's developing in these young people, Luke Skywalker and his, his sister uh, uh, Leia with the buns on the side of her head. This new force is actually from the past. It is of old. It was before and yet it will be again. It's from the past and yet it is new. The force in the movie is the pre-existent power come to life again to deliver the people from evil. This is a theme that people like. Some of you maybe have heard of one of the original, of course, superheroes, Superman. You heard of Superman before? Wears tights, big cape. The origin of the character, Superman, is of a baby sent to this earth in a meteor. And he grows up and he helps to protect the planet. But in one of the movies, I don't know which one it is, we learn along the way that, that before Superman was a hero on this earth, before Superman was a baby that came in a, a meteor, he was actually pre-existent in time. And even his name has some biblical references. It's Kal-El or El-Kal or one of the two. There's an L in there, which is similar to our El Shaddai. It's very similar a power from another place, now coming as a baby, return to help people. Now, I haven't seen the Marvel movies, the most recent Marvel movies that have come out, but I understand that this is similar theme. Powers that existed throughout, and now they're being reborn, and so that people can deliver others. Y'all, stories with this theme are always a success over and over and over again. And the reason for that the reason for that is because they come from the greatest story that is built into each one of our hearts that we all desire to embrace. This idea of an ancient power that's come along and is here to deliver God's people. Secularists, Christians, we all like it. Now maybe you haven't 
heard of Star Wars and Superman and you're like, man, I really don't like those, those illustrations, Pastor Chad. But maybe some of you who have not embraced those or heard of those, you've heard of a guy by the name of C.S. Lewis. Have you heard of C.S. Lewis? You maybe have read some of his books, The Great Christian Apologist. His tale that we know as the lion and the witch in the wardrobe, isn't it the exact same thing? A once wonderful land is now corrupted, overseen by this wicked woman, and, and the land is now always icy and cold. It's described in this way. Lewis describes it in this way. As always winter, but never what? Christmas. Always winter, but never Christmas. But Lewis writes, but there are rumors that Aslan is on the move. And they ask, who is Aslan? No one knows. But he's this power. Is he safe? Well, he's not safe, but he's good. Lewis tells us. He's a character in, in the story that is from of old, but has now returned to rescue the people of Narnia. A being of old, but reappearing as a king, as a power, as a ruler. And the story works because it always works, because it is built into the framework of who we are, this, this idea that, that God made us and, and this power that's come back. It was actually this truth that played a major role in C.S. Lewis becoming a believer in Christ. C.S. Lewis had been an atheist, and now he was becoming a theist. He was believing in a higher power. He was believing in a God. But, but he had not yet embraced the idea that that, that Christ was the Son of God, that Christ was real. And, and this, this idea of, of a being throughout all eternity was hard for him to wrap his mind around. A being that would come and die and, and, and then live again. And this eternal being was hard for him to wrap his mind around in the idea of Christ. But as Lewis shares, he and his friends, J.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings guy, and Hugo Dyson were on Addison's Walk on the grounds of Magdalene College in Oxford. And Lewis shares that Tolkien and Dyson were trying to show Lewis that he appreciated the pagan myths that talked about a pre-existent power that came to save the world because they appealed to something inside of himself that he longed to be real and true. But while the pagan myths were false, they were trying to help him understand that this was a true myth, so not really a myth at all. Listen to what C.S. Lewis wrote. Now, that Di now what Dyson and Tolkien showed me was this. If I met the idea of a sacrifice in a pagan story, I didn't mind it at all. The reason was that in the pagan stories, I was prepared to feel the myth as profound and suggestive of meaning meanings beyond my grasp, even though I could not say in cold prose what it meant. Then Lewis wrote this. Now the story of Christ is simply a true myth, a myth working on us in the same way as the others, but with this tremendous difference that it really happened. That it really happened. And this truth changed Lewis's life. Just nine days after he had this walk with his friends, he reports that he was going to the zoo with his brother, and he was riding in the sidecar of his brother's motorcycle to Whipsnade Zoo. And Lewis wrote, I know very well when, but not how, the final step was taken. I was driven to Whipsnade one sunny morning. When we set out, I did not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and when we reached the zoo, I did. Now, when I shared this with Mark 
and Jason, they said it must have been a very crazy motorcycle ride. <laughs> and he decided he better give his life to Jesus right then and there. But, but I believe it was from that walk. He, it, those things have been working on his mind, these, these mythologies that he had embraced just because he was willing to be open to them. Suddenly, when he saw that there is a true story related to these, his heart was pierced. He allowed himself to be open to that as well. Jesus is from eternity past, even though he was born in Bethlehem. It is true what the Bible teaches us. It is why all humanity, not just believers, resonate so deeply with such stories of ancient powers coming back to deliver. We believe it because it is a truth based on the truest and greatest story ever told. But Jesus is not just unique in that he was a ruler from ages past and from all eternity past. Micah chapter 5 tells us that he is a king of the future too. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock, this is verse 4, in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. Then they shall shepherd the land, or they shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrians when he comes into our land and treads within our borders. This has a, a dual meaning, of course, but, but it's painting the picture of a future time when, when God will truly, through this ruler, deliver all humanity from all its enemies for all eternity. Micah is addressing the reality that one day God will wipe away every enemy of God and God's people. In other words, the king is from everlasting past, but also this ruler, this king, will reign for eternity into the future, bringing peace and security for all eternity. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. This eternity present, this eternity of joy and peace and, and hope is what's written about in the 96th Psalm of the Bible, verses 10 through 13. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that feels it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. Again, this picture of God reigning for all eternity and all of creation rejoicing because God has brought eternal peace to the land. And of course, there's Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. And it gives us the prophetic imagery of Jesus in the future reigning as king. And I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. Verse 13 of chapter 19 of Revelation. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, 
King of kings and Lord of lords. King of kings and Lord of lords. Yes, y'all, Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is unique in this. Jesus is unique in this. Jesus is unique in that he is the only power ever in the history of mankind. Uh, the Godhead and, and Jesus are the only power in the history of mankind to be the ruler from ages past and eternity past and the ruler into eternity's future. He spans all of that as, as this divine and powerful ruler. Yet Jesus is also unique in this. There is nothing you can do about Jesus being the ruler from ages past. And there's nothing you can do about Jesus being the ruler into the future. It is. You have no control over that, and you have no control over this. But what makes Jesus unique is he gives you the choice of whether or not you're going to allow Jesus to be your king and ruler today in the here and now. The most powerful being in the universe, who not a thing was made, the Bible tells us, without his hand, who will restore all things to their true perfection in the future. But in this moment, Jesus is unique in that he says, though I am all-powerful, I give you all power to make the choice to allow me to be king of your life. This Jesus that we sing about and hear stories about every single year, he is truly unique. The question today for us then, is Jesus the king of the past and the king of the future? Is Jesus our king today? If we only celebrate Jesus as king of the past, as at Christmas time, some people like to do. I love the Christmas story. I love all the, the trappings of Christmas. They like that about Jesus. He's good back there. And they like the picture of Jesus too when that day's gonna come when all those things are gonna, that are tough and difficult are gonna be gone. But if we only love that Jesus and we only love that Jesus, then, then, then really his, his kingdom doesn't have ultimate power and, and the joy of his kingdom will not have ultimate authority of our life. If we love him then, then there's no power. If we wait till the end when he's king again, then, then it'll be too late. We must choose to make Jesus our king today in the here and now. But how do we do this? Well, the answer, I think, is in the type of king that Jesus is. And that is, again, found in the book of Micah and verse 4. Micah verse four, as I just read, describes Jesus as a ruler that stands and shepherds his flock. In other words, Jesus is a shepherd king. Jesus is a shepherd king. The answer, I believe, to, to knowing how to have Jesus be king of our lives can be, can be discovered when we understand the relationship of the great shepherd to his sheep. What do we know about the relationship between the great shepherd and his sheep? What do we know about the relationship between shepherds and their sheep? Three points and then I will sit down. John chapter 10 and verse 11, if you want to turn there to the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 10 and verse 11. This is what Jesus said of himself. 
in John chapter 10 and verse 11. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, what? Lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The first characteristic, the first relationship between the shepherd and his sheep is that Jesus died for each one of us. Now, what does that have to do with Jesus not just being the king of the past or the king of the future, but the king of the now for us? Is that first, we have to believe and accept that Jesus died for every one of us. I like the way that verse actually reads. It doesn't say the shepherd laid down his life for his sheep. It says he laid down the life for the sheep. That means all of you. Whether you want to be call yourself a believer of Christ or not, he died for every one of you. Every one of us. So Jesus died for us, and we can believe that intellectually, we can believe that, that at some, some even emotional level, but, but, but how does that really take a practical root in our lives and help us to allow Jesus to be king of our lives in the here and now? It means that we understand this, that we are sinful that we have gotten ourselves as humanity into a mess and no matter how hard we work, no matter how good we are, no matter how much we struggle, we cannot save ourselves from ourselves. We can't do it. So we needed a king, a king that was willing to die for us, a shepherd king who lays down his life for a sheep and says, for the sheep and says, I am willing to die for these sheep because they cannot save themselves. If you read the rest of the book of Micah, by the way, you'll discover that Micah is all about a people that can't get out of their own way. You know, everyone knows, well, not everyone, but a lot of people know Micah chapter six and verse eight. What does the Lord desire of you to do justice, to, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? And we say, yeah, yeah, we like that verse. But, but, but the whole rest of the, the chapter before that verse in chapter six is say, the people are saying, what should we do? Should we sacrifice our firstborn? Should we make more sacrifices? Should we do more of this? And God's saying, you can't do anything. Just try to do this basic thing. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God because you can't save yourself. And then Micah continues on and continues to say, you're falling short, you're falling short, you're falling short. And you come to the end of Micah and what do you get? God says, I'll redeem you because you can't do it yourself. That's, that's, that's Micah. And that's where we have to come to in order to allow Jesus to be king of our lives. Romans chapter five and verse six tells us at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. So I make Jesus the king of my life when I stop trying to save myself or thinking that my good actions can save me. And I accept that Jesus and Jesus alone can save me. The second characteristic of the relationship between sheep and the shepherd is recognizing that there is, in that relationship, once that relationship is formed, that there is really only one voice that matters in the big picture. Jesus said this in Again, John chapter 10 and verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. In order for us to have Jesus as king of our lives today, we must know his voice, which he speaks to us through his word primarily. But not only must we know his voice, we must also listen to his voice. 
listen to his voice. We have to understand this, folks, because some of us are in, the, are in the struggle over here of trying to save ourselves. Some of us are, are saying, you know what, I like the fact that Jesus died for me and I don't have to do it for myself. And we're over here in the, in the, in the struggle of like, I like that you died for me, but I don't want to listen to anything that you have to say to me. We like the idea of Jesus dying for us, but we don't like the idea of, of listening to anything that Jesus says to us. As one writer, writer wrote, Jesus might be your example, he might be your inspiration, he might be a lot of things to you, but he's not your king unless you've made this commitment. Whatever he says in his word, you're going to do, whether you understand it or whether you like it. That's a hard thing for us. Some of us have kids that question everything. Some of us are adults that question everything. We need a reason. You want me to obey? Give me a reason. You want me to, to step out and do this? Give me a reason. We're, we're, we're somewhat like that as people sometimes. I was called into the office uh, of the chair of the department at the School of Religion at Southern Adventist University when I was a student there. And uh, Dr. Cluzet, who was the chair of the department, said, Chad, you know, one of your rep- professors have, has reported to me that you have not been at class uh, very often, especially on Fridays. And he said, can you explain this to me? And I said, well, on Fridays, I can explain to you, I'm golfing. <laughs> so that's a sound argument, right? I mean, it wasn't a lie, it was the truth. And he said, well, you know, you really need to go to class. And I asked him this, I said, why? And he said, well, because it's a class, you need to go. You're paying money, your parents are paying, you need to go to class. And I said to him, but why? He said, well, if you don't, I said, well, I'm gonna, I, actually, I said to him, I said, well, I'm probably gonna keep golfing on Fridays at least. He goes, well, if you don't go, your grade's going to go down. And I said, but not that much. (laughs) I said, I can get a passing grade in that class without ever attending, so I don't need to go. He looked at me. But what was happening in that moment? What, What was actually happening in that moment? Now, I thought I was being pretty smart. That's what I thought was happening in that moment, but... but I was making myself an equal to the chair of our department. That's what I was doing. The chair of the department was asking me to attend class and I was telling him to give me a reason. When he gave me a reason, I didn't feel his reason was valid enough and so I said, no, I think I'm gonna keep on doing what I'm doing. Y'all, this is what we do when we pick and choose what to obey from God's word. When we say to someone, I hear your voice, but now I'm going to give you my voice, and then I'm going to decide which one is more valid. We're making ourselves equal in authority to the person that we are discussing. Now, we do this all the time. We don't like it when our kids do it to us. You know, do this. They say, you have to explain. There are some things you just don't understand. You're just going to have to do because you're a child. You just have to understand that. God, God says to us the same thing. God says to us the same thing. If we say, well, I don't understand, therefore I'm not going to, or I don't like it, therefore I'm not going to, Jesus is not our shepherd king. He is just an opinion amongst many. When the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd calling out from them to huddle because a wolf is present, they don't say, well, explain this to me first. Or I don't see a wolf, so I'm not going to listen. No, they, they hear the voice and they huddle. You know, I'm proud to be an American, and I think this, this idea of someone telling us what to do kind of tears at us. I'm proud to be an American. I bristle when someone dictates to me something that I have to do in my own 
personal life. I think, no, I should get a say. I should get a vote in some way. But that is me as an American, and I have to realize, and we have to realize, that being a Christian is not, hold on, a democracy. It's not a democracy. Jesus doesn't say to you, if you love me, let's take a vote and see what we should do. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Show it by, by keeping the commandments. Jesus died for us. We've got to stop trying to save ourselves. Then Jesus says, now you're trusting me to save you. Now trust me to lead and guide your life and follow my directions. Obey my voice. Hear my voice and obey my voice. The last characteristic of the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep that I think will help make Jesus king of our lives in the here and now is simply this, trust. Trust. The most famous psalm, the shepherd psalm, Psalm 23, begins in this way, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If you're reading the NIV, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Goes on to tell us, he makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside quiet waters. We like that part. He refreshes our soul. That's good as well. He guides me along the right paths. We don't like that as much because right paths, who gets to determine that? We fight that a little. For his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or some of your Bibles say the valley of the shadow of darkness, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We spend a lot of time worrying about what we lack. We worry about, about what paths we are going down. We worry about the darkness that all, is all around us, about our very lives. We worry and fret about who feels what against us. We worry about the future. Many people are grateful for Jesus coming and being born as a baby. Many people are grateful to Jesus for dying, and many people are grateful that he's going to come back, but in the midst of it all, they're forgetting that Jesus can still be king of our lives, and we're saying, I've got to figure my own stuff out right now. And we worry about everything. I love what Haddon Robinson, the great preacher, said about this text. He said, we talk a lot about what the sheep do, and we talk about the different trials of what those valleys may be and what we lack. And he said, and the most important words of that entire passage are this, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And because of that, we do not need to worry about the rest of it. Give your worry to the shepherd king. Be like the sheep that go through, through the dark crevices of the canyon and they hear the voice and they see the shepherd and they just keep walking knowing that there's water somewhere beyond the way. Jesus is the king that was before from eternity past. Jesus is the king that will be again throughout eternity future. But, but what I want us to invite Jesus to be is the king of our hearts right now in the here and now. Accept his death on your behalf as the only way to have eternal life. You cannot save yourself. Listen to his voice and, and obey it, trusting that, that, that he knows what is best for you. And then trust him that the shepherd has everything in control and you do not need to worry. 
He is not just a king. He is the shepherd king. He wants to be your king. He's the king of yesterday. He's the king of tomorrow, but he wants to be your king today. And so I invite you as we go through this Christmas season and we sing the songs and we hear the story, the old familiar story, I invite you to not just have Jesus be a king of the season or of the moment or of a blissful feeling when you sing the song, but allow Jesus to be king in your heart today. King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus, we thank you so much for being here with us. We are about to sing, joy to the world, the Lord has come. And we sing about letting the earth receive her king, but Jesus, I pray, please put the desire on every heart in this room to prepare room for you as king. Not a king of the past, not just the king of the future, but our king now, the king who died for us, the king who, whose voice is so beautiful and true, the king who is trustworthy, the king who says, do not worry, but place your worry upon me. Jesus, I pray that you'll be our king this Christmas, but not only in this season. I pray, Jesus, that you'll be our king throughout the rest of our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.